I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that the world is spinning out of control with all the domestic challenges, the pulsating rage sweeping our country, deepening and intensifying racial tensions, economic disparities, blind assaults on truth. We're unable to agree even on basic facts. The rise of China, the misadventures of Russia, the threat of a nuclear-armed Iran, the distant danger of a deranged North Korea, these are enough to tear the delicate fabric of my emotional equilibrium. Even the paralysis of that oil pipeline last week freaked me out. Did you realize that we were so vulnerable? One cyber attack on one private company shut down energy supplies to half the country? And no one seemed to mind that the company paid ransom to get the oil flowing again. Just give me my tank of gas. What do I care about anything else? And I haven't even mentioned this awful pandemic with its devastating toll on life, health, and emotional and financial well-being. We have lived in near isolation for over a year. And finally, it is hard for me to describe my overwhelming sadness and emotional turmoil over this round of bloodletting in Israel and the Palestinian territories. Now that hopefully the guns have quieted, we can begin doing a preliminary assessment. It is clearer than ever that there is a deepening divide between progressives and Israel. It is not only a healthy empathy for the Palestinians. It is also an increasing animosity to the foundational principles of Israel's very existence. I'm a liberal. I was raised a liberal. From childhood, black civil rights leaders were part of our household attending Shabbat and celebrations in our sukkah. Clergy of different faiths and denominations regularly visited us. Bouncing on my parents' knees, I learned to respect every human being regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, or class. I believe in justice, righteousness, and peace. I believe that all human beings are endowed with equal dignity. I believe in collective responsibility, that we are our brother's keepers. I believe in reason, science, persuasion. I believe in tolerance. And because I am a liberal, I feel a special responsibility to speak with liberals, especially liberal Jews, and to speak with audacious honesty. We are witnessing the fracturing of liberal Judaism. We are breaking 
along the same fissures as a century ago. The fault line as it was back then is our sense of Jewish identity. Do we belong to the Jewish people? Are we anchored in Jewish particularism, an identity rooted in Jewish peoplehood, and from there pursue Jewish universal values of social repair? Or are we Kantian universalists who happen to pray in Hebrew and who regard the insistence on Jewish distinctiveness an embarrassment at best or at worst, an impediment to and a contradiction of universal values? For years, I pondered, mystified, how could it be that the founders of liberal Judaism, Reform Judaism, how could it be that they simply abandoned the concept of Jewish peoplehood? I couldn't get my mind around it. How could they turn their backs on our people? with single-minded conviction that now, looking back, seems like a form of messianism. Our movement asserted, we consider ourselves no longer a nation, but a religious community. The first Jew to assert this understanding of Judaism was the Apostle Paul. The early Christians were the first to insist upon a religious creed divorced from the Jewish nation. It is this that finally led to the irreparable split between these two groups, these two interpretations of Judaism. 2,000 years later, liberal Jews voiced the Similar sentiments. It would have led to our marginalization and ultimate disappearance of Jewish history had we not come back to our senses and understood that Jewish liberalism is a blend of Jewish peoplehood that looks inward and outwards in pursuance of our mission to improve, improve both the Jewish and the human conditions. Naturally, the anti-peoplehood reform movement of the 19th century was ferociously opposed to the 20th century Zionist movement that placed the concept of Jewish peoplehood at the very heart, at the very center of its political philosophy. Zionism is poison instilled in sugar-coated pills. It is un-Jewish, said the early 20th century president of the Hebrew Union College, the rabbinical seminary. A month before the first Zionist Congress in 1897, the leader of American Reform Judaism, Rabbi Isaac Mayer Wise, proclaimed, 
We are perfectly satisfied with our political and social position in America. We want freedom, equality, justice, and equity. And this we possess in such fullness in America that no country whatsoever could improve on it. All this Zionist agitation on the other side of the ocean doesn't concern us at all. Expressing the sentiments of the overwhelming number of Reform rabbis, one prominent rabbi said at the annual Reform Rabbinical Convention of those times, the Zionists forget this lesson of history, that the inherent universality of Judaism has outstripped the shackles of state and national life. Three decades before the rise of Hitler, Reform rabbis confidently proclaimed the Zionists have failed to understand the lesson of history. I would not justify prejudice and persecution by fleeing as the Zionists would have us do. Thirty-five years later, the Nuremberg Laws came into effect, consuming and devouring millions who put their trust in German universal enlightenment and could no longer flee because they were trapped behind the rampaging monster of persecution. For years, I was perplexed. How could we have been so wrong? No one could have predicted the dimensions of the Holocaust. But anti-Semitism was rampant, both in America and especially overseas. Pogroms were ripping Jewish communities to shreds throughout Europe. How could we have ignored the realities of the Jewish experience? How could we have been so blind to a basic Jewish worldview that Jewish universalism does not supplant Jewish peoplehood. It reinforces it. We did not look upon dispersion and exile as a blessing. It was a tragedy. A tragedy to overcome in order to keep the Jewish people alive. That's why we're still here. That's why you're here. Not all Reform rabbis rejected Jewish peoplehood. Rabbi Stephen Wise didn't. Rabbi Abba Hillel Silver didn't. Rabbi Barnett Brickner didn't. But most did. And it was only until after the Holocaust that proved without a doubt how wrong liberal Jews were that we finally came to our senses. And what I realized through my 12 years of leading the North American Reformed Zionist efforts, interacting with so many 
lay and professional leaders of our movement who still could barely utter a positive word about Israel or Jewish peoplehood nearly a century later. What I realized is that this anti-peoplehood, anti-Zionist worldview of liberal Judaism never actually disappeared. It was suppressed under the 20th century tragedies that the Jewish people endured, but it never disappeared. To the contrary, when there is no tragedy, it is the default position of liberal Judaism. Liberal Judaism is uniquely susceptible to a rejection of Jewish peoplehood either by word or by deed or both because we straddled the tension between Jewish particularism and Jewish universalism. It's a good place to be. It's where we want to be. But it requires clarity of beliefs and strength of Jewish convictions. It requires that we speak to our own people with audacious honesty and to warn that we are constantly at risk of regression back to where we started. Audacious honesty requires that we emphasize that Jewish peoplehood speaks the language not only of peace, justice, righteousness, and mercy, but Jewish peoplehood and Jewish people also speak the language of Jewish solidarity, Jewish responsibility, Jewish identity, and Jewish mutuality. Audacious honesty requires that we press reform Jews. Are you committed to the Jewish nation? And what does that mean to you? Do you believe that the Jewish people, like all other nations, has a right to self-determination? Or that Jews are somehow different? What applies to others does not apply to us because Jews, in the words of our reform predecessors of the 19th and early 20th century because Jews have a higher mission, the dissemination of the dream of universal brotherhood. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. All this ugly human interaction that requires actually dealing with the world as it is, the real world, this is not for the Jews. State power is corruptive and corrosive. We must put our trust in European enlightenment to protect the Jews. The philosophies of Kant, Schopenhauer, Marx, Nietzsche, Heidegger, 
These will ensure that Jews will be safe in every enlightened corner of the world. This is the real fault line. And we must be honest with ourselves if we want a future for liberal Judaism in North America. Because if we drift away from our people, it is we, not the Jewish people, who will be marginalized. The values of liberal Judaism will weaken. The future of Judaism is Jewish peoplehood. And all those who abandon Jewish peoplehood will be as leaves falling from the tree. And since that future will be determined by the next generation, let me say a few words to younger Jews here listening online. I know that many parents, when I talk to younger people, like to play this video for them. I know how difficult this period is for you. I know you are pained. These are painful times. What normal person with a sympathetic heart does not weep for the deaths of innocence? Never lose that sense of empathy and compassion for every human being. I know you are confused. These are confusing times. If you are a senior and going off to college in the fall, you will be caught up in a maelstrom of anti-Israel agitation. I want to impress upon you that not all criticism of Israel is illegitimate. It is not all unwarranted, and it is certainly not all anti-Semitic. But some of it is. And on some campuses, a lot of it is. Jew hatred is a disease, an incurable virus that has sadly afflicted humanity for centuries. I wish that by now, you young people, you the future of our Jewish community, would not need to endure a world where people hate Jews. Jew hatred did not begin today or with the creation of the Jewish state and it will not end today. In fact, anti-Semitism was a central motivation of Zionism. And the sad truth is that hatred of Jews will not end even if Israel's enemies get what they want and Israel is destroyed. Because it preceded Israel. I'm sorry that you have to learn this, as all of the previous generations of our people have had to learn it. We have a tendency to think that everything in the world is new because we're in it. 
that history stops or turns or didn't even happen simply because we weren't there to see it. Criticism of Israel on campus is often led by activists who do not seek accommodation with Israel. They seek its annihilation. And this is anti-Semitism. Be very clear. When they shout Palestine free from the river to the sea, they mean destroy Israel. Ask them. Go up to one of their protests on campus and ask them, what do you mean? Do you believe in coexistence? And they will tell you, and you will hear it with your own ears. When they insist on the so-called right of Palestinian return, they mean destroy Israel. When they whitewash attacks on Israel as legitimate resistance and accuse Israel of war crimes for every response to the war crimes that they inflicted, they seek to delegitimize Israel and thus weaken it so that it can eventually be destroyed. They are the dishonest ones, not you. Hamas organized wild celebrations in the streets of Gaza today. They claimed victory. This is the euphoria of victory, one Hamas spokesman said. I feel we won because we struck Tel Aviv. I wasn't as happy on my wedding day as when we struck Tel Aviv, one celebrant enthused. This is what Israel is dealing with. Devastation and destruction in Gaza, while its leaders emerging from the underground bunkers they built to protect themselves and only themselves, while leaving their people exposed claim some kind of dystopian victory. This is the core reason why there is still no peace between Israelis and Palestinians. There are many contributing factors, and Israelis have made their share of mistakes as well. But the root cause of all of this bloodshed is what it always was. The unwillingness to accept a Jewish state at all within any borders, under any circumstances. When you get to college, ask them. They'll tell you that. Those Arab countries that once launched waves of attacks on Israel, but have since made peace, have seen no violence since the day the treaties came into effect. Not one Egyptian or Israeli soldier or civilian has died in battle since Sadat and Begin signed the peace accord over 40 years ago. Not one. And all Gazans know that if there were no missiles fired as Israel from their territory, 
not even one bullet would be fired from Israel at them. And one final word to young Jews. When you get to college and you are exposed to students and faculty who seek to force a one-size-fits-all theory on the world, be skeptical and be careful. One-size-fits-all political theories that purport to diagnose all the problems of the world and resolve all the problems of the world are not liberal. They are illiberal and dangerous. They are especially dangerous for Jews, even if some Jews are its advocates because they have always placed Jews on the other side as the enemy. Human beings are far too complicated for an overarching theory of everything. And the human condition is far too complex for the application of a dogmatic, all-encompassing solution. The last theory that tried this was actually called the final solution. The dispute between Israel and the Palestinians has nothing to do with racial tensions in the United States. If you are white, your Jewish identity has nothing to do with being white and therefore, by definition, you are racist. There are millions of Jews of color, including the majority of Israeli Jews. Israelis are not white colonialists who oppress indigenous populations. Judaism does not divide the world by race. We divide the world by values and behavior. We judge people, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. As we welcome Shabbat, we pray for a renewed period of peace. We pledge to work with all people who seek a genuine peace when Israelis and Palestinians, Muslims, Christians, and Jews can live side by side and every father, every mother, every child can sit under vine and fig tree unafraid.